1: Life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're true. You'll be set for life. Today we're in Second Samuel twelve, and before we get into it, I just want to talk to you a little about my football days when I played in school football. One time we had this guy that was on the team and he just didn't put much of an effort on defense and he practically let the other guys just come through. Finally, some of the team members were like, hey, man, you practically just let this guy come in. And the coach started getting after him, too. He's like, when they snap the ball, why don't you just stand up and say, hey, just come on through and roll out a red carpet. Why let the guy come in? Well, there's going to be a little talk about that today in Second Samuel verse uh, chapter 12. Why would you allow, why would you give the opportunity for the enemy, for the opponent to just walk in? Why do that? We'll get to that. Let's get on reading with it here now in 2 Samuel 12 verse 1. Nathan's parable in David's confession. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to Nathan, "As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity." You know guys, this is as if say Bill Gates or the richest man whoever it is right now was to come out of his way to come all the way down to where I live down in South Texas to take my beloved pet dog, my beloved dog, Rascal. I've got this wonderful little dog that i he's the best dog I've ever had. He's so smart. He's like family. We sit on the couch and watch TV together, you know, or he, he sometimes does watch the TV, especially if dogs are on the TV barking. He really watches. Or if there's a squirrel or a bird, he watches. But if he's not too interested in the show, he just gnaws on his bone and I'll pet him and but this would be as if the richest man in the world was to come all the way down to my house and steal my pet and take my dog from me and then go kill it to use it for something. I mean, that would make me mad. I, I, I would go to him and I'd say, "Hey, what right do you think you have to come and take my pet from me like that? You, you're so rich, you have exceeding everything. Why'd you have to come take mine and steal my pet? This was this lamb was like a pet. It it was friends with the family and." And so David got so infuriated that he went to two places in the law to pass judgment on this man. It was in Exodus 21 and 16, says he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Also, Exodus 22 and 1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep, for a sheep. Okay, now we know that the rich man did not kidnap a person, because uh, that first piece of the law talks about kidnapping a man. But because Nathan said that this lamb was loved like a daughter, then David saw this as the same as kidnapping a family member, and that's why he declared that bit of the law on whoever this man is. And before putting the man to death, David felt that this guy should pay back four times his compensation because of a sheep should be fourfold over. So there, David has now pronounced his royal judgment on this man. Make it so. Okay, well, check this out. First Samuel 12 and 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Oh my gosh, Nathan's story here was to show David what he had done to poor Uriah. He was David in this story was the rich man who had everything. God gave him the whole kingdom of Israel. And it even says that he gave David all his wives. You know, only royalty in those days could accumulate that much wealth in one lifetime. No other human being could get as rich as David was except royalty. Only kings can do this. And so the Lord posed the question, You've got it all. You have everything. So why? Did you have to steal Uriah away from Bathsheba? The one husband that she had, you've got a bunch of wives. She only had one husband. Why did you have to steal him away and have him killed? So you can see that David pretty much passed judgment. All the men should die. The men should pay back fourfold. David pretty much just passed judgment on himself. And so today when we say, you know, dude, You are the man. When we say you are the man, we intend that to be this uplift, this encouraging thing. Well, not in David's case, the you are the man as a condemning shock to humble David down. But consider that the Lord said here, he said, I would have given you more. This means that God knew David was going to do this before he even did it. You see that? I would have given you more. So why did the Lord, here's the question, why did the Lord let David do this then? We think of it in these terms. I think that's kind of a misguided question. If we're going to allow that kind of a question, why did the Lord let David do it? Then we also have to ask the question, why does God allow me free will? Why did you let me do this, Lord? Why did you let me? Well, if the Lord stepped in the way and blocked you, you would have said, oh, Lord, why did you step in the way of my free will decision? How could See, we're, we're, we question God. So if he took your free will away, you wouldn't be happy about that either. The point is here, the Lord allows you free will, he does, uh, not unlimited free will, but at times free will, so that you will be tested. I I hate the concept that the Lord would test me like that. That's not right. You know, people often don't like that. You have to take a driver's test, don't you? Why do you take a driver's test? So that if you're, if you're lacking in some driving skills, you can find out what they are so you don't end up getting yourself hurt or hurting other people on the road, right? We take blood tests, don't we, to find out if we're lacking in something health-wise so that you can correct it. You got to take math tests. You know, you also take a sobriety test to determine if it's safe for somebody to drive. When it comes to God the Father, he does test us, and he does not test us because he needs to discover where we are. He tests us because we need to find out where we are, because we're the ones that don't know. God knew where David was. That's why he said, I would have given you more. But uh, this test here was so that David could wake up and discover where he was. He was way off track. The reason the Lord tests us like this is so that we can come to a place of repentance. Look at what David said. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, it took this. For David to wake up and see how far he'd gone. He had gotten so blind, he didn't realize how far off he'd been. And so now Nathan needed the story to wake David up before he told him what's next in 2 Samuel 12, 9. He says, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You! You! have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Oh my goodness. David's guilty of murder. He's finding this out. We really need to get a hold of what's going on here in this story, friends, because people today would have argued with Nathan. They would have played the little technicalities thing and the little sneaky little tricks to try to get out of it. And they would have said, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. I did not kill him. Technically, I did not kill him. The Ammonites killed him. I wasn't even there. How do you say I killed him when the Ammonites did it? Well, you got to remember back in the previous chapter, David facilitated the entire environment for Uriah to be killed by the Ammonites. David set this up. Of course, he wasn't there. But he set up the whole scenario to have Uriah purposely killed. He planned it. And so Nathan said, you killed him. You killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. The very reason why David repented is because he accepted what Nathan said. He didn't try to fight with him. Friends, today we're fighters. We just got to fight everything to the ground, don't we? Please don't do this. When the Lord is calling you to repentance, it's for your benefit. Second Samuel twelve and ten. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly but i will do this thing before all israel before the sun whoa imagine if god said to you i'm going to take your wife i'm going to give it to some other man and he's going to have his way with her how do you think about that and everybody's going to watch it god does this. i can't believe god he does it it's right here in the in the word guys we really need to understand how bad sin really is god deals with sin harshly Jesus said, gouge out your eye, chop off your hand if you have to. If it causes you to sin, throw it away from you. He was saying, be as ruthless with sin as you have to, to keep it from messing your life up. And so David was quick to pass judgment on mystery man, wasn't he? Oh, he shall die. He shall pay back fourfold. But he didn't know it was himself that he was passing the judgment on. And so now the judgment's going to come down on him. The Lord said through Nathan, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. In other words, from your very own family, you are going to have big, big trouble. This is David. This is the guy that was going out on military conquests and beating everybody. Nobody could touch him. Nobody could beat him. He beat Goliath. But now, but see, those were enemies out there. That's, that's one thing when they're out there enemies. But now what David's going to have to deal with is enemies and adversity from his own family. That's hard. I want you to remember how David had lots and lots of family. Lots of family. You remember in 2 Samuel 3, it talks about all the sons that David was having with many women all over the land. Guys, that's a lot of family to have trouble with. He's got bad times coming. So David just now realized how accountable he was to the very judgment that he passed on Mystery Man. But now David finds out. You are the man, Nathan said. So David's adultery and his murder plans were done in secret. He was hiding it, but God was going to execute the judgment very, very publicly. All of Israel would see it. Christian, does this make you uncomfortable? I hope so. Pay attention to this story. Second Samuel 12 and 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Goodness sake, I imagine after a discussion like that, if I was Nathan, I'd want to go home too. This was not easy for him to stand there and tell him that. But you notice how Nathan said that David himself would not die. Despite all this, David's not going to die. Why? Why is this the case? First off, I know we're thinking about the child dying, but one thing at a time. Nathan said, you're not going to die. And here's why. Because David was under covenant. You remember, David was under covenant that God gave him in 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. God promised him, he said, when your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Well, apparently here in chapter 12, David's days are not fulfilled yet. Like he said, David's time ain't done. And so because God had not yet done everything with David that he said he was going to do, David cannot die yet. David can't die or else the covenant would be void. And if God makes a promise and makes a covenant, and can't deliver on it, that would make God a liar. If God was made a liar, if God made us promises, but then changed his mind or went back on it or couldn't hold it up, nobody in the rest of entire human history would ever trust what anything that God ever said. And God's not going to do that. God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. But remember, the law that David talked about, about the man, he should pay back fourfold for the lamb that he took, okay? well. That fourfold judgment was now about to take effect on David, because the child that he was about to have with Bathsheba is now going to die. He just found that out from Nathan. But then later, as you read along with me, follow up on this, and remember the fourfold judgment here that I'm talking about, later on his son Amnon is going to die, and then later it would be Absalom who would die, and then Adonijah, four of David's sons four sons yet to happen from this point that are going to die. Fourfold. That's the very judgment that David pronounced on the mystery man who is now him. Fourfold are going to die. Now, when you take the fourfold requirement of the law, plus you add in God's judgment of there being adversity from David's own household, guys, what we're about to see is David is going to lose four of his own sons in the upcoming chapters, and he's going to have a lot of trouble. The sword is not going to depart from the house. Even with the sons dying, there's going to be a lot of battle in his family. It's going to be very troubling times. Christian, are you getting the, the feel yet of how bad a damage that secret sin does? I hope you're getting it, because this is an interesting Jesus parallel picture that we're coming into right now. For those of you that don't know what the Jesus parallel is, it is when you look at a story or a circumstance and God's trying to show you his son, Jesus, and how it relates to you through the circumstances that you're seeing. You can go, oh, that's how it works between me and and the Lord God. Okay, that's what we're going to see in our story moving forward. Nathan had said, here's Jesus parallel. Nathan had said, the Lord has put away your sin. The Lord has put away your sin. Even though David was spared under covenant, that doesn't mean that the consequences just go away. Being under covenant means that David's sin gave great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme God. Now, a lot of people like to think, well, I'm under the covenant of Jesus. I'm saved no matter what because I'm under the blood of the Lamb, I'm going to heaven, so let's party. Let's go get drunk. Let's go do drugs. Let's go do—let's fornicate and have sexual— adventures, you know, and and all this this craziness that the Bible says is wrong. Guys, what the Bible says is sin. What God's word says is sin is sin. I don't care what culture says it is. It is sin, okay? So wh- wh- you get this hyper grace attitude that I can do whatever I want because I'm saved no matter what. Well, then you get these people who are abusing the covenant that they're under. They do not realize the damage that the consequences bring about back into your life. Sure, you're under covenant. Do you realize the damage you're doing? Look at David. David could not die. Nathan said, the Lord has put away your sins. Oh, yeehaw, let's go party. No, you can't. Because look at the consequences. The sword is not going to depart from your house. The fourfold of the sons that's going to die. Four son- Friend, why would you allow this? Why would you just let this happen? Like the guy in the football game. Why would you get down at defense and then tell the op- uh, the opposing team, yeah, why don't you just run right on in? That's not how you do it. And so I want you to understand, though, that even though David's repentance was genuine, it was real. You remember Saul, King Saul? He had a hard time with repenting and really making his repentance be real. And that's why he got in so much trouble and drove himself down in the dirt and, uh, to his end. But David's repentance was real. And a lot of people think, well... I can sin, but if I just repent for real after, then God will fix everything. No, that's not how. Oh, but I'm under covenant. God has to fix it. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to do anything. You don't tell God what he should do. He's God and we're not. David's going to have to deal with these consequences, even though he's under covenant. But his repentance was real. And he wrote about the prayer of repentance as recorded in Psalm 51, verse 10. You've probably sung this in songs before as lyrics. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Friends, David's repentance was real. It was the real thing. And you see how he talked about steadfast spirit. You know, he looked at Bathsheba when he was walking on the roof, and he goes, oh, yeah, look at her. Check her out. Let's party, right? (laughs) A steadfast spirit, my friends, would say, when you have a temptation like that, you're steadfast in your spirit, you'll say, nope, this is wrong. I cannot do this. I have to do what's right and walk away. He should have never messed around with Bathsheba at all. When we have a sin confront us and we think about, oh, yeah, I think I might would like to do that, you have a steadfast spirit and say, no, I got to do what's right. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This was what David learned from his big mistake, and this was probably after he long paid for it already, when he wrote this. Friends, we need to learn this too. His repentance was real, but the consequences of what he had done would stick to him. It's not going away. And the Lord had said he would deal with all of this privately. No, he's going to do it publicly for everyone to see. And so it now swiftly begins in 2 Samuel 12 and 15. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him, that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. Now I can understand his servants. You go tell him. No, you go tell him. I've seen how messed up he is right now. He's liable to go crazy. They were scared to let him know. But one thing I want to show you here that's very important for us to see is in verse 15. It says, the Lord struck the child. That alone causes a lot of people to get mad and shake their fist at God. Lord, how dare you do this? It doesn't say the devil did it. It says the Lord struck the child. Do you see that? Take careful notice, guys. This is what we're dealing with sin here. But people get mad. Well, the child didn't do it. So they get mad and they say, God, your decision was wrong. And they try to drag God into their courtroom where they think they know better than he does. This is not fair. First off, friends, be careful about running the word fair life is not fair it's not fair but if you want to be fair if you want to call fair okay let's think about fair for a minute if you got what was absolutely fair you know what would happen you'd be sent to hell and you'd die the second death for all eternity in the flames of hell for all time from now on that would be fair because you and i sinned we both sinned bad we broke god's law that's what that would be fair okay So don't drag God into your little courtroom and think you can hold him there and say, now, God, that's not fair. Uh Uh-uh, not going to do this. Be careful about throwing around the word fair. That's a dangerous word to play with, and everybody's doing it today. Don't get caught up in that. God will never sit in our courtroom to be judged and tried by us, but we will all sit in his courtroom to be judged and tried by him. But let's get back to everybody's thoughts here. The real thing going on here is that when when we see how the child died instead of David and Bathsheba paying for it, this becomes a big troubling thought for us, doesn't it? It makes us get all twisted up in a knot. The first thing we want to ask is, why, God, did you do this? How could you do this kind of thing to a child here?
0: Thank you for listening to Set for Life.